and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me is a very special guest. He is the artist, writer, and creator of the comic series Catbeard the Pirate. Matt Nelson, welcome back. Bula bula bula. <laughs> bula bula bula. <laughs> well, this week we watched an episode entitled Hunting Trip. It is an episode of the great sitcom Parks and Recreation. It was the 10th episode of its second season, and it originally aired on NBC November 19th, 2009, as a part of NBC's Comedy Night Done Right block. Wow, 2009. I know. Man, almost 10 years. I can't believe that. That's crazy, isn't it? It is. At Around that time, NBC had such a, a good programming block. They, now that, they had, let's see, that, they had The Office, they had that. What else did they have at the time? They had 30 Rock at, at the very end. Okay. I You know, I never, for some reason, could get into that one. Oh, really? See, I, yeah. I always enjoyed 30 Rock. I might and, have to go back and try it again. And uh, at the beginning, uh, a couple of different shows were kind of switched in and out, but uh, Community was there for a while, too. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I saw the first season of that one. So, uh, you know, they, they really had something good for a while, but, you know. Yeah, <laughs> for a while. It went the way of must-see TV. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. There's a flashback. <laughs> <laughs> Now, the episode we watched, it was written by the show's creators, Greg Daniels and Michael Schur, along with Daniel J. Gore, and it was directed by Greg Daniels. Now, Parks and Rec as a show, it ran from April 9th, 2009 to February 24th, 2015, spanning 125 episodes over seven seasons. Now, if, if you're a fan of the U.S. version of The Office, you're most likely a fan of this show. Uh, many of the production staff uh, on this show came from The Office, and most notably, like I mentioned, Michael Schur who you might remember as Dwight Schrute's bearded cousin, Mose. Oh, right. That's right. <laughs> I always forget that Mose was one of the uh, writers and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, such a great character on that show, too. So funny. And just a weird piece of side trivia. He's also Regis Philbin's son-in-law. Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Also, uh, co-creator Greg Daniels, who wrote and directed on The Office, uh, was part of this production staff, and Rashida Jones who also played Karen Filippelli on The Office, as well as Ann Perkins on Parks and Rec, which, you know, is probably one of the main reasons why fans never got that Office in Parks and Rec crossover. Would have been yeah. kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, it would have been. It would have been a difficult one to work around. But uh, this show originally was conceived as a spinoff of The Office. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. It's, and you can definitely see it in the way it's, it's filmed. What happened was in 2007... After a, a man named Ben Silverman was appointed the co-chairman of NBC's entertainment division, he asked Michael Schur for a spinoff of The Office, which was, you know, of course, extremely successful. So after right, months right. of working on ideas, they uh, decided to abandon that spinoff aspect of the show and instead make it a standalone series. But uh, the idea of having it shot in that documentary style with a single camera setup and the talking heads... That actually remains. So that, that's one of the few aspects of the office that stuck. You know, though, I think it works, and I, I'm, I'm, I am glad that they eventually kind of abandoned the documentary format mm. for, or at least the documentary idea for it. Uh, especially with some of the revelations of some of the characters later in the series. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Tom's, you know, Tom's marriage, the whole bit. <laughs> that's blatantly illegal. But um, those talking head moments are so good in the show. That mm. I'm really glad that they kept that part in. 
Now, the first concept of Parks and Rec, once they, they got the idea going, it was going to be about a small town government official trying to bounce back from a humiliating public spectacle. What happened was after they got Amy Poehler, they were like, all right, well, we can't do that. You know, having Amy Poehler as someone caught in this, you know, terrible scandal and trying to bounce back. So they, they changed the idea from then to be like, well, this is a, a young, optimistic, small town government official instead. Uh, yeah, I can see that. It just seems kind of like almost she's got a little bit of that that intensity still going on. Like, I have to prove myself. There's a lot more of that in the first season. Uh, where true. she just, she really, really feels, she's got that crazy eye going full bore in the first season. <laughs> but that that idea of the, you know, the, the guy that has to redeem himself, they ended mm-hmm. up using that, that. That character ended up becoming Ben Wyatt, who was right. used in season two. <laughs> if, if you're a fan of the show, you might remember that uh, Ben was a character trying to move on from his past as a failed child mayor of a small <laughs> Minnesota town. <laughs> uh. One of the one of the greatest moments in the show is his uh, meltdown on the various uh, <laughs> the word with Purd and all that, freaking out about his his ice town debacle and everything. Oh, it's yeah. so fantastic! <laughs> Pretty much what bankrupted the town. Yeah, <laughs> completely went under. It was absolutely hated. Got impeached at the age of 17. <laughs> so the creators did a lot of research to prepare for the writing of the series. They, I guess they spent a lot of time attending and observing a lot of uh, Los Angeles city council meetings and uh, meeting with real members of local government like city planners. And a lot of the premises and characters were formed from this period of research. Uh, for example, Ron Swanson was partly based on one official who uh, evidently told Michael Schur, I don't really believe in the mission of my job. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> There's a real Ron out there somewhere. Somewhere somewhere out there there is. That's great. That's so fantastic. You know, everything does feel very authentic from the, you know, in, in the series. I mean, not Neo, obviously, exaggerated but mm-hmm. when when they're when they're working with these other various characters all this it sort of has that very very small government feel mm-hmm. you, you know what i mean not like, you yep. know not like small government you know but you know, like smaller smaller level government feel yeah definitely yeah and uh, and here's a couple more facts the uh, the idea of the show was partially inspired by the portrayal of the local politics in the hbo hit drama the wire really <laughs> which is kind of hard to believe. I did not know that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've only seen a little of The Wire, but I, I would never have made that connection. No, the two don't really translate. And then no. the original name of the show was going to be Public Service. Hmm. Which I, I guess it's kind of like a mundane type of title, which kind of fits, like you were saying, that, that kind yeah. of local government Boy, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really roll off the tongue, though, does it? No, unfortunately, they did change it to Parks and Recreation. Yeah, way better. So did you watch this show, Matt, when it first aired? Or did did you Um, get into it later? I got into it... Oh, gosh, when did I start watching it? I think I I got into it maybe around the second or third season. Because the first season is rough. Partly because the Leslie character is a little too Michael Scottish in the first season. Mm -hmm. Um, But I... I've been watching it pretty, since pretty early on, as I recall, uh, because I, gee, many Christmas, I can't even remember when I hadn't been watching this one. So I, I must have gotten into it fairly early. 
Same here. I mean, uh, I think I watched it from the beginning because uh, Apple gave away the pilot episode for free on iTunes. Ah. Uh. So it was one of those things where like, oh, I'll check it out. And then, of course, when you watch The Office every week, it's like the lead into The Office. So it's like, okay, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll check it out give it a shot. And... <laughs> Why not hang around for an extra half hour? Sure. Yeah, yeah. And the first season, it's good enough to, to keep you interested. Like yeah. you said, it's it's not the best now now that we have, you know, what, seven seasons to look back on. Oh, and gosh. it is a shortened season. It if, is. If Much like ever, The Office. Yeah, definitely. If you ever bought either uh, Parks and Rec or The Office on DVD, it's like one of those single hard cases for the first season. Mm-hmm. Because it's a short season and then like, right. the rest of them are box sets. So fortunately, it's not that big of a drag, but it does set up a lot of important stuff going forward, like what the pit is and Leslie's it project. Did. Right. Everybody who dogs on the first season, I always want to say, yeah, but the pit, you need that first season because the pit's so funny. Yeah, definitely. But th- there's a lot to, you know, you need to understand Andy and, uh, and Anne starting out right. together and yep. that kind of stuff, so... Although it's funny how much Andy changes straight from the first season into the second season. Yes. It's almost it's almost like a little bit of a switch got flipped. Yeah. And it's definitely true because you know they I think that they really fell in love with him with Chris Pratt and his He's portrayal so of the character. They yes. really wanted him to be this jerk and he was going to be kind of forgotten. But he just won them over so much and the character became so likable that He's it's like all right. He's such a delight. It's amazing. Yeah. It's like you're part of the cast now. <laughs> oh yeah. All right, so let's get right into this episode. Now, we open on the exterior of the Pawnee, Indiana City Hall building, which is just this beautiful piece of architecture. I believe it's an actual, isn't it an actual city hall or something of that nature to an actual government building? You are correct. It is the city hall building in Pasadena, California. Right. Okay, I thought so, yeah. Now, usually in the show, we're shown just that large archway entrance of the building, but if you actually look up pictures of this building, which I encourage you to do if you're listening, you'll see how big it is. It's like six stories. It has a large central courtyard, over 235 rooms, and it covers 170,000 square feet. Good gravy. Now, here, here's a little background on this building because we're really going to talk about this. It, it's beautiful. It's ornate. It's this white limestone building. It was completed in 1927, and it's really been in movies and TV for decades Uh, Just a couple of examples. It was used as a villa in Charlie Chaplin's 1940 film, The Great Dictator. It was uh, an embassy in the Mission Impossible TV series. The uh, courtyard, just the courtyard of this building was a town square in the 1995 Keanu Reeves film, A Walk in the Clouds. (laughs) (laughs) Which is pretty crazy. That is crazy. It was the town hall of Cheyenne, Wyoming on the show Jericho, which I, I never got into that. Did you ever watch oh, that? Oh, I loved Jericho. Loved it. And uh, if you look closely in some shots of the Big Bang Theory, you can actually see the Pasadena City Hall dome through the window of the apartment. Hmm. And it, it, one of the few times where it's actually used as the Pasadena City Hall building, because that's, you know, where it takes place. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and check that out in Jericho. Yeah. Now... It really seems out of place, of course, to have this giant, ornate city hall building in the middle of this small town, in the middle of Pawnee, Indiana. This is actually addressed in the Parks and Recreation book, which is called Pawnee, the Greatest Town in America. This is the one, uh, is this exactly the same book as that they show later in the series? Yes. That that Leslie's written? Nice. (laughs) Now, do you you have this book, Matt? Have you ever seen it? I don't. I should get it. Oh, definitely. It's, It's actually pretty cheap on Amazon. 
Really? I, th- I think I got it as a bargain book on Amazon not too long ago, so it, it can be found pretty cheap, and it's definitely worth it. Well, I guess there's something to splurge some of my tax return on. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I highly recommend any fan of the show that doesn't have this book to go out and get it. It's basically a comprehensive travel guide written by Leslie Nope. Uh, it says right on the front, written by Leslie Nope. It's got some articles and sections inside written by other characters from the show, and it just has tons of backstory, the history of the city, the history of companies like Sweetums, and uh, it's it's residents going back in into you know the the 18th century or 19th century. But in this book, the history of the Pawnee City Hall is that it was built in 1904. And that it was made of 100% locally quarried Indiana limestone, which was stolen from a quarry in Bloomington because Pawnee's limestone was very weak and crumbly. <laughs> I love the I love the rivalry no. <laughs> between the cities and oh yeah, in that Pawnee, show. Pawnee and Eagleton hate each other. It's very funny, right? Now, now Leslie Nope goes on to write that at the turn of the century. The cities all over Indiana were moving into the electrical age, and commerce began to take off, so Pawnee City Council commissioned renowned architect Daniel Bishop to create a city hall that will stand the test of time and show the world that Pawnee is the fulcrum on which Indiana's fortunes lie. Now, it's also mentioned that the city council spared no expense, nor did Bishop, and the town was bankrupt for 30 years because of this building. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) And there's even, like, footnotes uh, in this article, and it, it references an article from an architectural magazine about the dangers of architectural overreach. Wow. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna have to get this. I love fake footnote type stuff, or even if it's real, who knows? That would be amazing. I'm gonna have to get this book. That sounds hysterical. It, it's so detailed. Now, there's even a quote from Councilman Douglas Hauser, who we will see in a few moments, <laughs> who says, quote, In some ways, we are still digging ourselves out from under that debt, as the maintenance and upkeep alone on this building are astronomical. The fact that a town of this size and with this budget has such a monstrously large and intricately designed (laughs) city hall is frankly ridiculous. (laughs) I never even gave it a second thought, but that's really great. That's so funny. He continues, and I think it sends a confusing message to our citizens when the building suggests a much more powerful and capable government than we actually have. It is quite beautiful, though. End quote. (laughs) Wow, that's really great. I'm just picturing this guy saying that, too. I can totally hear it in his voice. It's so good. It's so funny. And that's something I never really thought of until we, you know, got into this episode and I started doing the research. It's like, oh yeah, there is this giant building and it is. how do you spin it? Yeah, it is huge. That's right. And the way they write it off, it makes perfect sense for this town to have that it re- building. It really does. It really does. And you know, <laughs> that quote is really great from that character too, because that character always walks around. He's not in the show that much. But he always looks really frustrated and tired <laughs> and like he's just having the worst day. <laughs> yep. So anyway, yeah, get that book. It's They've got menus for local businesses, ads. Uh, and I mean, it's worth it alone just to have a, a full page copy of the Swanson Pyramid of Greatness. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I was tempted to order the poster size version of that off of oh, yeah. the NBC website. It's <laughs> so good. So funny. So anyway, in this open of the show, we see that at this point in the series, Andy Dwyer, who we mentioned is played by Chris Pratt, had recently taken a job as the shoe shiner at Pawnee Town Hall. And we learn that the folks at the Parks and Recreation Department are really enjoying having him around. 
because he, he is a lot of fun. Yeah, it uh, starts off right in the middle of him telling some anecdote that involves lifting his uh, his little apron up. And I don't <laughs> doubt for a minute that this is really Chris Pratt telling them some some joke and they're cracking up because I've seen him do that kind of nonsense a lot in outtakes and that kind of thing. Sure, sure. Yeah, because we can see even Ron Swanson is laughing. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, in A Talking Head, we see Tom Haverford, played by Aziz Ansari. He mentions how one particular perk of having Andy around is that he gives piggyback rides, and any time you want, you can get one. <laughs> so, of course, we cut to this. Andy's giving Tom a piggyback ride through the very busy corridors of the town hall, and he's bumping people out of the way. Yeah, yeah, you're running at full speed, too. <laughs> <laughs> very dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> And so next, Andy gives a piggyback ride to Leslie Nope, of course, played here by Amy Poehler. And as they barrel down the hallway, they end up coming face to face to Councilman Hauser, who Councilman we just mentioned. <laughs> same one from the book. And this is, I, I guess, the same person to whom Leslie had recently proposed a rezoning plan for Lot 48, which is, uh, we kind of briefly mentioned, her pet project to turn a large pit in a vacant lot into a park. Yeah, the pit is such, you know, it's it's almost a shame that we didn't spend more time in with the pit on the show, yeah. because it's such an omnipresent thing in the first couple, what, three seasons, I think? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and there's so many great moments with it. I, I guess, you know, if, if we'd spent too much time with it, it wouldn't have been as funny when they are in it, but oh gosh, the pit's such a great, great ongoing thread in the series. <laughs> No, actually, the original intent of the pit was that the last episode was going to be, you know, when it was finally completed and turned into a park. So it was going to be the complete arc of the series was going to be this vacant lot filled in, turned into a park eventually. But they kind of abandoned that idea. Right. I remember I seem to remember reading something about that is that the series was sort of going to be about that lot. Uh, it would just be the ongoing, you know, never ending battle to get this thing made into a park. Yeah. I'm kind of glad they went with a little bit more. Uh, more about the, less about that park and more about, uh, the, the, you know, governmental aspirations of the characters and things mm -hmm. like that, because I think there's, there's a lot of humor to be had in the nonsense and minutia of government. Definitely. Yeah. And we, we get a lot of also, you know, of course, Leslie running for office at various points and then her love story with Ben as that unfolds. So, you know, there's a lot there to, to dwell on, like, the characters rather than just this lot and the characters right. kind of surrounding that lot. So right. I think it was a good good choice to make. It is a good call. So Leslie is still on Andy's back here talking to Councilman Hauser, and she's asking about, you know, the, the, the lot, and he said he's been busy. So Leslie, still on Andy's back, mind you, follows him down the hallway, trying to sell him on the idea of, you know, allocating funds for the project. <laughs> It's like, so funny. I like if you watch Chris Pratt's face in this. He has this this expression as though he's trying desperately not to be involved in this moment, too. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he's staring straight ahead, and he's sweating, and he just looks <laughs> so uncomfortable. <laughs> yes, he's merely the beast of burden in this scene. Ugh. <laughs> uh. Now, from here, we cut to the title sequence featuring the great instrumental Parks and Recreation theme. It is the best dang opening theme. I, it's so great and so peppy and so happy. And one of the few opening themes that I don't want to skip through just to get to the show. I want the whole long instrumental theme. It's so great. Yeah, it's it's really nice. It was It's like an upbeat instrumental theme. 
Uh, it goes very well with uh, this opening sequence. Yes. Now, now, this theme song, it was actually the winning entry of a contest that NBC held through BMI to find composers that could write the perfect theme song for the show. That's crazy. Now, the winners were Gabby Moreno and Vincent Jones, who were reportedly paid $7,500 for their efforts. Uh, should have been more. I know. Should have been more. <laughs> they should have got residuals. So as this plays, we see a lot of, like, tiling video footage. If you've never seen it before, it's got some suburban scenes, like playgrounds, parks, kids riding bikes. We got farmland as well. And, uh, you know, just a, a lot of uh, Midwestern life. Gives a very good, clever overview of, of what, you know, the the department they work for does. You know, just very quickly, you know, that, that kind of, you know, scenes of the parks, etc. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, of course, we get the cast and credits kind of mixed in with all this as well. Now, as the music ends, we open on a Parks Department meeting where Ron Swanson, played by Nick Offerman, explains that tomorrow is a half day of work. So he and two other town employees, uh, Mark Brendanowitz and Jerry Gergich, are going to conduct the annual trail survey at Slippery Elm Park. (laughs) It's interesting in this scene, I noticed, because they're still a little early in the formative, they haven't completely turned jerry into the butt of the uh office yet because he and he and ron are uh you know throughout the series jerry you know gradually becomes this you know bumbling oaf in the office and everyone hates him and (laughs) even though they like him but they hate him and uh but he and ron are like you know down low five in each other and uh you know wink and a nod type stuff because they both know that this uh this office excursion isn't exactly uh uh, a survey, yes. and it was just an interesting th- note that uh, they didn't quite have a handle on this character yet. Yeah, just this early on. In fact, later on, it, it got to the point where we find out his his real name is Gary. G- like, G- they weren't even calling Gary him by his G- right name. Gary <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, we we find out that uh, Jerry, of course, played here by Jim O'Hare, takes this opportunity to show off the custom hats he had specially made for the survey which has cartoon versions of the three guys' faces and a turkey, and it says Trail Survey Boys. (laughs) Really great. You can really tell right off the bat that this is not a trail survey. Uh, Ron is, like, really into the hats and says, well, if anybody has any questions, you can shoot me an email. (laughs) email, Making a rifle motion with his hands. (laughs) Yes, yes, not subtle at all. No. He aims at the mural... Beautiful murals, by the way, on the meeting room wall. Yeah, I've been, you know, I've, I've wondered, are these, are these real part of the California, uh, building or is this like set stuff that they had made, you know? I, I believe this is all in the set. Okay. Yeah. Cause there, there's some murals that, uh, are not. Right. Ob- okay. Yeah. Well, obviously those murals. Yeah. There's some horrifying murals depicting the history of the town of Pawnee yes. That, yes. that clearly are part of the set. <laughs> Please see the book for uh, details of those murals. They're, they're oh, pretty gosh, terrible. Oh gosh, they're amazing. They're, they're so in, funny. <laughs> they're intentionally horrible. They're aw- but, yeah, they're awful, but so funny. But the meeting room, you know, the murals in there of, of wildlife, yeah, very beautifully done. And I believe these are part of the set. I don't think they're in the original town hall because okay. I, I don't think they film there that much anyway. So as this is all going on, you know, they're all kind of laughing thinking they're pulling one over on everybody. We can see by the expression on Leslie's face that she is not fooled one bit. Uh, we cut to a talking head, and Leslie explains that the only trail that these guys are surveying are a trail of lies and deception. 
<laughs> she explains that Ron has a deal with the park rangers to use their cabin every November for a secret hunting trip with all of the guys in the office. Now we cut to Tom Haverford saying, well, he never took me. And she corrects herself, well, all the men. Then. All the men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tom's often counted among the... Uh... The, the the ladies of the office. <laughs> there's yes. a there's a later episode where uh, where Ron is talking about Andy again, talking about Andy, and he says, "I like having Andy around." He says, "I work with a lot of women in this office, and that includes the men." <laughs> <laughs> now, behind Leslie's desk in this scene, you'll notice that she has two framed photos of two very important women in her life: uh, her mother, played by the actress Pamela Reed, who shows up you know in the show from time to time, as well as Madeline Albright. Right. And also, I, I, we don't see it here, but also in the series, we'll see uh, an autographed photo of Indiana legend Larry Bird. Right. Right. I remember that. Yeah. From French Lick, Indiana. That's a... Wow. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's quite quite the place to come from. <laughs> One of those... Boy, some of those towns. <laughs> but of course, very uh, very famous around where we are out here, uh, you know, being a, a Hall of Famer member of the Boston Celtics, so... Ah, uh, right. It's one thing we always kind of hone in on of course <laughs> so, i'm sure yeah <laughs> so anyway uh and, and also just kind of speaking about sports we see a lot of uh, indiana pacers make cameos throughout the the series as well which is pretty funny oh Roy did Hibbert they? and others yeah so. oh right that's right i forgot yeah uh during a lot of the uh, uh entertainment 720 stuff yes and I, I think they even have a an indianapolis colts episode where they go out there and meet a to lot the, of the team the stadium right yeah but anyway, uh, we next cut to Leslie confronting Ron at his desk and demanding that the women of the office be included in this year's hunting trip. Secret hunting trip, actually. <laughs> and uh, Ron pretends to have no knowledge of a hunting trip, claiming, you know, it's just a trail survey. Even though he's reading a hunting magazine and listening <laughs> to turkey calls on his computer. <laughs> is, is this not rap? Yeah, that, that killed me. That was so funny. <laughs> She totally calls him out on all this stuff. He finally breaks this facade and tells her, you know, it's tradition. And Leslie claims to be good at hunting and at being one of the guys. And Ron admits that technically it's a work event. So legally, he can't prevent her from joining. <laughs> so realizing that that's probably the closest thing to an invitation that Ron Swanson will give, she excitedly says she'll bring some s'mores and she leaves the office. <laughs> So instantly, instantly, and, and you know, just like that, yep. the one piece of government that I enjoyed is ruined. And it's, and of course, it's so perfect because you know Ron Swanson wouldn't bring s'mores to a to a hunting excursion. Oh no, no, no. Yeah, in fact, he even he I wrote the quote down. He says that the one tiny part of the government that he enjoyed was clubbed to death before clubbed his eyes. Clubbed to death. That's right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. We cut back to Leslie. She's now making preparations for her trip. Uh, she approaches April Ludgate, played here by Aubrey Plaza, and asks her to call the State Parks Department to confirm the budget documents they sent. So this is like their way of kind of getting something that has to do with the vacant lot in the plot of this episode. True, true. I, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of forgot actually that it has to do with that as well as other character elements later in the episode. But I, I, that's right. She does ask her to do that. I forgot about that part. And it's pretty funny because she's like explaining, you got to do this and you got to do that. Essentially, it's dialing a number and reading another number <laughs> reading out loud. Another number out loud. <laughs> Can you handle that? 
No, well, try. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about the documentary style, how they, they did keep some aspects of that. Mm-hmm. There's a great moment here where April says, you know, like you said, no. And then she looks like right at the camera. <laughs> right at the camera. <laughs> yeah, Leslie says that if she does it, she'll name the first turkey she shoots after her. <laughs> That's a big honor. <laughs> yeah, she just says, uh, cool. Yeah, Aubrey Plaza became one of my favorite characters very early on. Very, very early on. Yeah, and, and this is one of these casts where, you know, a couple years down the road now, you look back and it's like, wow, look, look at all the, the star power that they had here. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. So from here, we cut to the exterior of Ann Perkins' house as Leslie and Mark, uh, played by Paul Schneider, pick her up for the trip. Uh, Anne is actually pretty excited to go, but only to read magazines and relax by the fire. <laughs> but Leslie had a hunting license made up for her anyway. I, I, you know, it's the one aspect of this episode I was like, can you do that? Can you have yeah. a hunting license made up for someone else? I don't know <laughs> that that's that legal. Too. Can you do that? <laughs> I, don't, I hope not. I, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's pretty funny. <laughs> I love where she hands it to her. It tells her she's an officially licensed hunter in the state of Indiana. Oh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, so cutting back to City Hall now, April... Uh, who's basically the only one left in the park's offices, attempts to make the call for Leslie, and she dials the number and waits on the line as the hold music plays. I can't tell you how tempted I was to call the Indiana State Parks and Recreation Department <laughs> just to see if the message was the same when they put you on hold. Oh, that'd be funny. I was really, really close to doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, you should have done the research, man. I really should have. I a little have disappointed now. I should have done it. I am a bad podcast guest. <laughs> I was just afraid I'd actually just immediately get through to someone. I was like, uh, then I was like, uh, what do I say? <laughs> uh, do you like the show? Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. I can't even imagine the amount of calls they get about that kind of thing. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's like, oh, this is a fifth call this day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we next cut to the cabin where as everybody arrives. Really beautiful cabin here. Yeah, yeah, really. Uh, it's it's uh, actually way, way nicer than you expect from the kind of place Ron Swanson would hang out in. Yeah, you figured he'd pretty much have like this bare bones log cabin, but mm-hmm. no, kinda it's like actually... Kind of like the small one he has later in the series, actually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But no, this is comfortably furnished. It's decorated, big screen TVs, playing a football game. Of course, it really isn't his cabin. It's really the park rangers. right. But uh, not really the place you think Ron would find uh, enjoyable. Mm-hmm. A few but, too many home comforts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we see here that Ron is now decked out in earth tones and camouflage, as is Jerry. They are very <laughs> psyched still for this yearly event. And as Jerry runs up to the cabin in excitement, Mark runs up behind him and pulls down his pants, yelling, <laughs> Sneak attack! I'm the pants king! Yeah, and <laughs> so, so, uh, so wildly inappropriate, but well, as <laughs> we'll shortly see. And like we talked about before, Jerry's usually like, kind of like the put-upon guy, maybe not so much here, but, uh... Yeah, here, here it we feels see very he's... affectionate, like, like, you know, something that happens all the time. Yeah. Possibly that's something Mark's done to all of them many times or something, but, uh, yeah, it's the kind of thing that later on in the series it probably would have just happened on its own. Yeah, exactly. Here we're given the impression, you know, it's probably some annual ritual that they're all right. kind of part of. Leslie, now seeing all of this happening in front of her, takes this opportunity to try to fit in right away. She pulls down Tom's pants, <laughs> describing herself as the pants queen. 
<laughs> Tom's reaction is so Tom's reaction is so great. Aziz, I'm sorry. I just it's so in, in, it's so indignant. It's just <laughs> <laughs> Yes, he does not find it as funny as Jerry did. Not even a little. No. And uh, in a talking head, Leslie said, "Well, you got to be ready for a good pantsing." And she explains that that's why she has suspenders that connect her bra to her bra jeans. To her jeans. <laughs> I I was sitting there trying to imagine. I was like, "What would that do?" Even I don't think that's going to work. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so next, everyone enters the cabin. You know, like I mentioned, it's completely decked out and luxurious. They can't believe it. This is a moment now where Tom also tries to fit in right away and offers everybody some chewing tobacco. Oh. <laughs> so old, disgusting. Oh, gosh. I, <laughs> it's Chewing tobacco is one of my big uh, gross-out things. So I'm just kind of mm. like, as, as soon as everybody's just like super into this, I was like, really? <laughs> I was kind of surprised to see kind of, you know, to see tobacco use in a, in a show like this, to be honest with you. It, it's it's only so they can do the gag later. It's And that's the literally the only reason it's there. Otherwise, I don't think it would have happened at all. Yeah. So we should explain what exactly happens here yeah. because, you know, they, they pass this bag around. You know, of course, Ron takes some and Leslie does because Ron does. But uh, after a few moments, Tom's getting really queasy <laughs> and Mark is like, well, you know, you should spit it out. And he says, well, I can't. I swallowed it. And, you know, thinking that that's what you're yeah. supposed to do. You're supposed to swallow it, right? <sighs> okay. <laughs> I love the, you know, the defeated reaction where it's just like, okay. <laughs> it just runs outside. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Leslie loves this because she's fitting in better than, you know, than any of the newcomers and she's like that's why they call it chew and not swallow am i right ron and he's like yes you are right <laughs> i like his delivery there is really good too because he still has that you're here and i don't really want you here but i can't disagree with you <laughs> right <laughs> face going on <laughs> now from here we cut to later in the day leslie's decked out in her fluorescent orange hunting gear and she's explaining safety basics to Anne, Tom, and Donna. Uh, Donna's here played by Retta. I now, love Donna so much. Donna's I love all hilarious these characters, this. but I love Donna so much in this episode. <laughs> now, Leslie asks Donna why it's bad to look down the barrel of a gun. So Donna, <laughs> thinking she's being asked a trick question, looks right down the barrel of her shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Donna, no. <laughs> and Ron is right behind them. He's getting ready with his group, Jerry and Mark, and he's advising them never to aim their gun at a person. That's the first rule of hunting. Including your own face. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little bit of foreshadowing. <laughs> so Ron invites everyone to grab a beer, partake in the traditional toast that the guys do to kick off the hunt. They, uh, they all grab a beer from the cooler, and Ron simply toasts to the hunt. It's, you know, I like his toes too. It's just, it's classy and to the point. Yeah. But uh, that's not good enough. Leslie wants to elaborate. She stands on the picnic table and continues Ron's toast with, and to the hunters, the only way to defeat the beast is to find the beast within. Beast within. <laughs> uh, and everybody loves this. You know, they're all, they're all cheering her. Yeah. Yeah. Quite the hit. Ron's a little miffed by Leslie's bucking of tradition, and we get this talking head where he explains that, you know, to the hunt is a traditional toast, and, you know, it's usually delivered by me. <laughs> 
now everything's, you know, changing from tradition. Next, Ron asked Mark, you know, you ready to go? But Leslie asked if they could pair up and mix doubles. Boy, girl, girl, boy. And Anne's a little confused because Leslie had already promised that they were going to hunt together. But we can see that this is like Leslie's ploy to get some time with Ron to, sh- to basically show how much she fits in. Right. At, at this point in the series, uh, Anne and Mark are dating anyway, right? I, yeah, if they're not officially dating, they're they're at least uh, very interested in one another. I think, yeah, I can't remember for sure. And yeah, I, I figured that was also an easy way for the writers to pair those two off. Yeah, definitely. But there, there's a funny line where, you know, <laughs> Leslie uh, <laughs> talks about uh, forgetting that Anne's not used to rejection because of her looks. And <laughs> I, I love the I love in in the series the constant uh, references. Leslie seems to be very obsessed with how extremely good looking Rashida Jones' character is. Yes, <laughs> I mean it's a tough thing to argue, but <laughs> so you know this is you know where Mark's just like we'll just go together, and uh, that's like you said they're romantically linked, so that pairs them off pretty well. Yeah, it's an interesting thing I was going to mention. Mark Mark's character, kind of semi-spoiler alert, at, he leaves at the end of the second season, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he pretty much leaves around when Ben Wyatt shows up. He really doesn't do much in this episode, and I noticed that, and I, you know, I wonder, you know, it's, it's real hush-to-hush, it seems like. I tried to look it up to see, you know, what exactly, what might have been the deal with his character leaving, and, you know, of course, he never comes back, he's never mentioned again on the show, really. And I just can't help but wonder if they just didn't know what to do with him. You know, or if they just didn't have a really good path for Mark's character. Because in this episode, you know, he's got... He's almost got that sort of Jim from the office thing going on a couple times. He, like, does that, you know, take to the same sort of take to the camera. Yeah. And I wonder if maybe they had originally intended him to be kind of a Jim-like character. But they just couldn't figure out how to make it work. I don't know. I just wonder... I, I constantly wonder about his character in the show because it really he really does kind of seem to get pushed aside a lot throughout the rest of the season and he just doesn't appear much I really not a lot in this episode at all yeah no definitely yeah I was thinking that too he definitely started out with that that gym vibe and you wondered if he was going to be like the kind of on again off again type yeah. of person for Leslie right uh, we also got remember Louis CK had a had a short arc as a police officer that she was kind of interested in I, you know, I actually really liked his character. I was almost, it's, it's almost a shame that Ben, uh, you know, <laughs> had to, had to interrupt that. Although it does make for a hilarious episode when he does come back. Yes. But I oh, really yes. enjoyed his super awkward cop character. He's so <laughs> great. <laughs> he just constantly looks uncomfortable with how much he likes Leslie oh, and, yes. and what to do around her. He's so funny. Yeah, definitely check out those episodes if you haven't seen them already. We should mention, too, that these are all on Netflix if you don't have the yeah, DVD set. Yeah, the whole set. thing is on Netflix. I really want to get the DVDs, though, because I would assume there's probably commentaries on them. Yes. And if they're anything like the Office commentaries, they'll be hilarious. They're very good. I have some of the box sets. They're awesome, and there's you know plenty <sighs> of extra material, deleted scenes, all that good stuff. Nah, I'm going to have to get those. <laughs> Now, I was going to say that even though this episode doesn't feature much of uh, Paul Schneider, who played Mark Brandanowitz, I did see him in the excellent Channel Zero, or later last year. Uh, very creepy, very, very different from his role in Parks and Recreation, but uh, an excellent miniseries, and I highly recommended it. 
Now, cutting back to uh, City Hall here, we see on the telephone display that April is still on hold, and uh, just kind of looking at the display here, it shows that it's nearly an hour at this point. <laughs> <laughs> kind of beggar's belief that she would even bother to wait yeah. with, this, with this character. <laughs> It's true, but of course, uh, what else does she have to do, I guess? Yeah, true. Now, at this point, she has to use the restroom very badly. She can barely stay at the desk. Meanwhile, Andy just so happens to walk by the open parks department door, and she calls him over, asking if he can stay by the phone while she's away and just read the number if prompted. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I like that he's just willing to just do anything, too. He just doesn't care. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's pretty funny, and if that if that door wasn't open, that fateful moment, who knows right. what would have happened in the future. <laughs> but I won't get into that in case you haven't seen the show. Indeed. So we next cut back to Ron and Leslie, now on their own walking through the woods, and Leslie is trying to impress Ron with her variety of turkey calls. <laughs> she did a, practiced quite a bit, did a lot of research for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the adult and juvenile uh, uh, turkey, as I recall. Yes. <laughs> Uh, do you guys have a lot of turkeys out in washington matt uh actually where i used to live uh, a couple years ago before before the, the the fire incident um the uh i could look out my backyard and see deer and turkeys very frequently oh wow um yeah it it was uh, uh when both my cats were still alive um it was it was a never-ending source of interest to them to watch these big, huge birds <laughs> walk by my uh, kitchen window. Deer, actually, the deer kind of freaked them out, I think, sometimes. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, it was... Uh, honestly, I, you know, I, I constantly thought to myself, I was like, you know, boy, if I had a bow and arrow, I'd have turkey for dinner right now. <laughs> Who would know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> now, we, uh, we here on Cape Cod, we are overrun by turkeys. Oh, really? They are everywhere, and basically, you know, you, you hear of, like, the pilgrims coming over here and shooting all the turkeys and everything. <laughs> basically, uh, our turkey population was wiped out by the 1960s or 1970s. There were no turkeys on Cape Cod, and they, I guess, went to upper state New York and got, got a couple of breeding pairs, uh, brought them back to Cape Cod, and now they are just everywhere. And so now they're a nuisance. They are like, oh yeah, they, they'll show up in your yard. I'll throw them some Cheerios once in a while just to see how close I can get to them, take pictures of them or something. But they'll, it, I mean, if they're, if you get an aggressive Tom, forget it. They'll run around your cars. They, there's, <laughs> they'll run after mailmen. There's stories of them like attacking people and stuff. Yeah, I don't usually, <laughs> I don't wild. usually uh, get too close to birds. Uh, <laughs> I can't, uh, I can't forget they're basically just small, angry dinosaurs. So... <laughs> It's like if you've ever picked up a, a full-size turkey at the supermarket, pretty heavy. Now just yeah. imagine this thing flying at you and pecking at you. That's yeah. So <laughs> stay away from them, nasty folks. Nasty little back feet. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just ugly. I mean, let's just let's just get it out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're come not pretty on, pretty birds. <laughs> Got a face a mother could love, I guess. I don't know. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Matt Nelson, bird hater. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is out. Well, at least they got the plumage, you know? It's a beautiful plumage. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, sorry sorry about that turkey aside. But anyway, yeah. back to the episode. <laughs> well, yeah. So just then, a gunshot is heard in the distance, and Jerry yells, Bula, bula, bula! Bula, bula, bula! <laughs> 
both Ron and Mark shouted back, and Ron explains that they yell this the first time one of them hit something. Of course, Leslie's like, oh, so she yells, bula, 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 but Ron says, too late, you missed missed it. it. (laughs) (laughs) Ron, in that moment, actually kind of seems a little bit like a little bit of a jerk. It's like, oh, come on, man. (laughs) (laughs) You can see at this point, Ron is still a little resentful of Leslie's adjustments to this annual event, and (laughs) she can even sense this, and she's in the middle of kind of expressing her gratitude to, to... even be there, but she stops to fire at a quail. It just really scares Ron in the process. Right out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. I saw a quail. You snooze, you lose. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, Leslie holds up this quail. She actually did get it and yells it back. You know, this bula bula bula. And Ron just lowers the brim of his hat as he sees this manly excursion being dominated by women. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, I think you hear Anne yell back at that point too, bula 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 back at her. Yeah, yeah. And this cuts to another talking head. We see Leslie is really kind of getting the opposite impression, uh, saying that it's a good bonding sesh for her and Ron, and <laughs> guys love it when you show them that you're better at something they love. Yeah. <laughs> she's, uh, she's really high on that notion. She's <laughs> <laughs> really reading Ron quite terribly. <laughs> So now we cut back to City Hall. Uh, April returns to find Andy still on hold, and Andy sings for her a song that he came up with. <laughs> this song kills me. Every <laughs> sing- I've seen this episode so many times. Every time he sings this, I crack up. <laughs> <laughs> and what is he? What are the the lyrics about? I am on hold. The State Parks <laughs> Department. I am on hold. So suck on my butt. <laughs> oh man i just like how she nods at him nice <laughs> <laughs> nicely done matt nicely done oh, i love that so oh. funny this of course is to uh all out of love by air supply yes which is perfect hold music constantly that's the only hold music they have for this whole time <laughs> And uh, April tries to keep her usual cynical expression, but she does smile a little. Yeah, you see her kind of grin a little bit. Yeah, the two high fives. So we can see she's, you know, kind of breaking a little bit. Uh, Andy asks where everyone is. She says that they're all on a hunting trip. And Andy's relieved that Mark is away from Anne, at least. But, uh... (laughs) Whoops, bad news. (laughs) Yeah, that's not the case. Um, We should mention that uh, at this point, you know, we mentioned Andy was Anne's freeloading boyfriend to start the series. Really kind of a jerk, but now he's like this really awesome character. He's more uh, goofy. But, he, he's, he, his edge gets softened a lot toward the second season. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very, very likable. Whereas in the first couple of episodes, eh, maybe not so much. He's very, in the first season, he's very self-centered. Kind of, they, they almost kind of try to play him off like he's one of those dumb jock jerk boyfriends. and. Yes. You, uh, you know, even to the point where he's like, you know, the whole bit where he's got a failed band, you know, it's, which seems more successful later, but it's, he's, he's not as likable in the first season until they start realizing that he's funny and Mm. he's funnier when he's, you know, a little softened. So he definitely has lost a little bit of his edge from this first season, but he's better in the second one. He kind of takes everything for granted in the first couple of episodes, and now he has an appreciation for what he had, and he feels sorry for how he acted in those first couple of episodes. He wants Anne back very badly. 
but now he learns that no, Anne's with them. So April tries to cheer up Andy, saying that you know maybe a deer will eat Mark out in the woods. <laughs> it, uh, Andy laughs, saying you know that's awesome, but it'll probably never happen. Probably never happen. <laughs> <laughs> Andy has a tenuous grasp on uh, on deer behavior, apparently. And uh, just a, another moment between the two, they kind of share a smiling glance, but April again tries to suppress it. <laughs> So back to the wilderness, Ron tells Leslie that his problem is not that she's a girl, it's that he doesn't like change. He likes going to the same place, with the same people, telling the same stories, and seeing who can bag the most turkeys. Yeah, you know, I <laughs> Ron is probably my favorite character on the series, and I, I relate to him terribly in that moment, because I'm like, boy, I, I hear you, man. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I, I can uh, definitely sympathize. Especially, I mean, you know, talking as somebody, you know, going into my 40s, it's like, you know what, as you get older, too, that's, man, change is hard. You don't mm. want to deal with it. Yep, it's true. Even trying new stuff on the menu is not fun, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about the only time that uh, that happens for me is if it's beer. <laughs> so, Leslie suggests that maybe it's because he knows he's a better hunter than the guys he usually invites. So she bets Ron a hundred bucks that she can bag more birds than him. This is when the bet's on. That's right. Yeah. Ron takes the bet and the two split up. This, yeah, that wasn't, this was another moment that I wondered about. Cause I was like, boy, that, you know, uh, Ron doesn't seem like the type who would solo hunting with a large group like this doesn't seem quite safe. Hmm. And that struck me as a little odd. I mean, it does lead for, to a great moment later, but. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he, he certainly pays. He does. <laughs> So meanwhile, Jerry is hunting with Donna and Tom. They're a group of three. Uh, Jerry's taking everything very seriously. He's walking carefully. He's creeping around with his gun aimed forward. He's like, you know, looking through the sights. It's so funny. Uh, Donna and Tom, on the other hand, they're just, you know, casually walking, holding their guns kind of haphazardly and having, having a debate. Best Did conversation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite kind of cake can't be birthday cake. It's yes. like saying your favorite cereal is breakfast cereal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love breakfast cereal. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I love Donna so much in this episode. It's just so, she's so great. Oh, this is a great Donna episode, too. It really is. So Tom decides, yeah, he just shoots at a crow. And Don decides to fire her gun, too, just to do it. And Jerry's just shaking his head in disbelief. He cannot believe what's going on. so great. Just like, <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> now, cutting over to the duo of Mark and Anne, Mark teaches Anne how to fire a shotgun. Uh, Anne wasn't too much into participating in, in the hunt, as we saw earlier. But now, after firing, she kind of understands why people like it. You know, this uh, this happened to me, actually, once when a friend of uh, uh, mine took us uh, all shooting at a quarry. I, I had that same experience. I was like, okay, I can see why people like this. Now, next we cut to Jerry, who explains to the camera while grabbing a beer. I think he's on the, the front porch of the cabin. He is. It's, it's, it's the front of the, or the, it's either the front porch or it's the side porch, something like that. But Yeah. Yeah. Basically mentioning how, even though he has a wife and three beautiful daughters, this hunting trip is the one time a year he gets to pee standing up. <laughs> That's the weirdest joke. Like, is, that, is that a rule in the Gergich household? Do you not have um, to do that? I'm assuming. I guess. 
Now they set this up pretty early that you know he he has a wife and three daughters. He's the yeah. only man in the house. Well, and it's interesting too because you assume when Jerry says I have a wife and three beautiful daughters, you kind of almost assume that you know maybe in Jerry's eyes, Jerry is not shall we say the most svelte and um, you know attractive of men. You know to <laughs> not put a fine point on it. But when uh, we do finally meet the Gergiches later, they are stunning. <laughs> His wife is played by Christy Brinkley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's so a, funny because none of the other characters can believe it. Right. <laughs> especially uh, especially Ben. I, lo- I love Ben's reaction to, to Jerry's <laughs> wife. <laughs> and, and Chris Traeger, played by uh, Rob Lowe, his character, ends up dating one yes, of uh, Jerry's Yes. Daughters. Oh, gosh. Such an uncomfortable storyline. So funny, though. So good. <laughs> it is. So as Jerry's kind of talking to the cameras, drinking a beer, we hear gunshots in the distance. And Jerry remarks, oh, I love that sound. <laughs> but after another one of the gunshots, we hear Ron yell, oh, I've been shot. <laughs> <laughs> so the camera follows Jerry. He runs over to Ron along with everyone else. And we see that everyone stands and looks at each other as Ron is there on the ground yelling that someone shot him in the head. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I know it's coming, and so it's already yeah. starting to crack me up a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah, Leslie kind of anxiously says, uh, bula, bula, bula. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, and we cut to black and to commercial. Great, great episode. So at this point, the show goes into a commercial break, so why don't we take this opportunity to take a commercial break ourselves? We'll pay some bills, and we'll be right back. For all of your pipe cleaner needs. Ah, this project's due tomorrow. Ah, this mustache is taking forever. I want to pet an ant. Choose Scruffy's Pipe Cleaner Services. And we're back. So when we return, everyone rushes to carry Ron into the cabin, and Leslie asks him if he's in any pain. (laughs) (laughs) Leslie doesn't come off uh, as someone who functions well under pressure in this particular scene. (laughs) No. Ron yells back, I was shot in the head with a shotgun. <laughs> now, Anne, who is a nurse uh, in the show, takes a look at it, says it's actually not that serious, and she tries to calm him down. Ron, <laughs> I love his Ron says, <laughs> I think I'm just going to stay angry. It relaxes me. <laughs> <laughs> so Leslie called uh, 911, and a ranger is on his way, but Ron is more concerned that the rangers won't let them come back next year. <laughs> Yeah, he's, uh, well, you know, he's got his priorities in order. <laughs> so as they try to move Ron to the day bed in the carcass the room. The carcass room, yes! <laughs> I, I, I just can't help but think, I'm like, wait, have they just been stacking them in here somewhere? I guess. I don't know. I, I don't know that they ever show, uh, I can't remember if they show the rest of the room when, when he's in there later, but... I just, I'm constantly imagining off camera just this pile of dead birds. I don't know. I don't go hunting, so I don't know, but uh, I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I would hope there'd be a better way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, they move Ron's carcass in there anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, next we get this very unexpected moment. We hear Donna screaming outside at the top <laughs> of her lungs. <laughs> Leslie is now hyperventilating into Ron's hat as her big idea just comes crumbling down around her. Oh, it's just a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) Cutting outside to Donna, we see her screaming hysterically. And uh, she's fine. She's not hurt. It's 
because one of the windows was shot out of her precious Mercedes SUV and the tire is flat as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I you know, I think this is a pretty early uh, a pretty early indicator of how much Donna loves her car too because they they bring that up again in much later episodes. Now back in the cabin, Jerry and Leslie, they try to help sedate Ron with a glass of scotch. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't tell looking at the scotch in this. Is he drinking Lagavulin here? Because it becomes such a thing for him later, I know. Um, oh, I don't know. I, I, was trying, I was trying to see. I couldn't quite tell. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Lagavulin is, however, for our listeners, an excellent scotch. Is it really? I've never had it. It's so smoky. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so after downing it, he asked Leslie if she was the one who shot him. Uh, because there was a bird near him, and he knows how desperate uh, she was to prove herself. <laughs> yeah, and Leslie just swears it was not her. In agony now, Ron tells her to find out who it was <laughs> and purchase them a coffin because he's gonna rip them apart. <laughs> oh gosh, he's uh, Nick Offerman is so so great as Ron Swanson. This episode is you don't get to see him angry too often either, which and it's so funny in this. It's so great to see Ron a little out of character because he's mm -hmm. usually so stoic, but yeah, this is such a good Ron episode. <laughs> it really is. So from here, we cut back to City Hall. April's call is still on hold, and <laughs> to pass the time now, Andy and April are playing Marco Polo, where <laughs> April is just hiding under the table. Under the and table. <laughs> Andy has got his foot in the trash basket. Yeah, he's got a rag tied around his eyes, and he's just walking into chairs and everything. And again, we could see April is smiling throughout this. She is kind of being charmed by him. I can't help but wonder how much of this scene is improv, because she really does look like she's laughing under that table. Oh, yeah. How do you not? Yeah. And it's just a, a quick scene. So we go back to the cabin here as uh, Anne and Leslie attend to Ron. Anne asks if he's lightheaded. And uh, he says that when he looks at the palm of his hand, he sees a lady's mouth French kissing a dog. Kissing a dog. <laughs> Is that normal? <laughs> we find out that she gave him a pretty strong pain medication that Donna uses for cramps. And Ron took eight and washed them down with scotch. Scotch. <laughs> <laughs> Like, how did you, how, well, she asks him how many he took, and he goes, eight. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Don't mix booze and pills, folks. No. So Anne tells him, nope, you gotta get up, you have to purge immediately. But Ron is just, like, so upset by the idea of wasting 20 years scotch. 20 years scotch. <laughs> <laughs> and next we get just such a funny scene. Uh, she's trying to have Leslie... Open his mouth so she can administer, I guess, Ipecac to make him throw up. Something. And they, they struggle mightily for a long time, and Ron is screaming. It's crazy. It's so great. He says something. Oh I never goodness. can quite tell what this line is, but something like, I'll fight you or I'll bite you or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so, it's so insane. Really great moment. <laughs> and then just smash cuts to that next uh, talking head. Yeah, it just immediately cuts to Leslie with messed up hair, telling the rest of the group in the living room that Ron is now resting comfortably. He's uh, very curious about who shot him. Very and she curious. Asks, <laughs> Such very, a diplomatic way of putting that. Very curious and just asked the shooter to come forward and say, I did it. <laughs> so Donna, Tom, Mark, Jerry, they're all there. They all look at each other and back at Leslie. 
And uh, so I think it's a little weird that no one wants to admit that they shot Ron in the head. <laughs> it's a great Leslie line. Yes. So they kind of debate whether maybe Ron shot himself, as Mark points out, you know. But it's like, no, he was shot in the back of the head. Wait, no, it wasn't. Oh, yeah, okay. I was going to say, wasn't it Wasn't it uh, Tom who asks, says that? Yeah, I v- believe so. Yeah. And, and Leslie said, no, he loves the back of his head. He would never, never shoot himself shoot there. Himself there. <laughs> the logistics. Uh, no, you know, nobody, nobody thinks the logistics. Just, the, just, uh, just no, he would never do that. <laughs> Now, Tom suggests that maybe someone outside the group is hunting them. And this, <laughs> Jerry's getting really scared at that idea. And Tom said he smelled something out there that wasn't human. And Leslie's like, that was pine trees. That was pine trees. <laughs> Tom, human Tom is suggests the most that dangerous they... game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Tom says that they should cover themselves with mud. Yes. Because it could still be out there. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Yeah, I love the little diversion into predator territory there. Yes, it goes immediately there. (laughs) So as they continue to make themselves paranoid with these stories, they hear a loud bang outside. So Tom runs to grab his gun by the door, and uh, Jerry advises shooting over its head to scare whatever it is. But Tom says, no, he'd rather shoot under Under his head. head? (laughs) What's that going to do? I'm going to shoot under its head. (laughs) So Tom kicks open the front door and just fires, but instead of a another hunter or, you know, perhaps a predator from the Predator films, it's, no, it's Craig from Reinhold Mercedes there to service Donna's car and screaming not to shoot. This poor guy. <laughs> I, just love, I just love him, just, you know, trying to take cover behind the car, you know, ducking down. <laughs> Craig! <laughs> And in the middle of all this, Ron, now with a bandaged head and his eyes closed, staggers over to the living room <laughs> once again to threaten the person who shot him in the head. <laughs> I love Anne just coming up behind him. Ron, bet now. Okay. <laughs> uh, so back at City Hall, April and Andy practice spit takes. Yes. <laughs> Some pretty funny uh, moments here. Yes. And, uh, by the way, they're drinking Werner's ginger ale. Do you, yes. Do you guys ever have that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have Werner's. We don't have Werner's in the Northeast. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. I, I know they make it They make it in the Midwest, I think. Uh, I, I did have a can. Someone uh, went out to uh, Wisconsin one time and brought it back. <laughs> and it's it's pretty good. It's all right. It's, it's kind of sweet for ginger ale. Yeah. Something we don't get out here. That's interesting. But uh, the the lines that they give each other to practice the spit takes are pretty funny. I can't help but, again, think that there might have been some improv in this. Because the part where he's sitting there saying, what do you mean? The squirrel took the nut. You can almost see her start to actually lose it for a second. Yes. Because, because she's, I, I swear he's got to be making it up on the fly. I Oh, definitely. This is, yeah, I, I would definitely bet that this is an improv moment. Mm-hmm. It's so funny, because she has lines like, that man wasn't my brother, he was my husband. Right. <laughs> and I, well, I'm pregnant with Josh Groban's baby. <laughs> and then Andy's, what do you mean the squirrel took the nuts out, out, of, of, the, the, out of the kid's, kids backpack? backpack, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's like sitting there waiting for a, a statement. She's like, you got, you got, with, a, with a mouthful of ginger ale, you gotta give me a reason to spit. Yeah. You ask me a question. It's <laughs> like, oh, right, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I have lived in Pawnee my entire life. That is a fact <laughs> about me. 
<laughs> he uh. says it so earnestly. <laughs> <laughs> but he gives a look to the camera, too. Like, I think he kind of knows that he's yeah. <laughs> kind of making her laugh. And April yeah. just gives up. She just drinks the, gin- the uh, ginger ale. Yeah. Oh, no, she does spit. Oh, yeah, she yeah, does she, a little she bit. She yeah. goes like that on the table and just drinks the ginger ale. A, a defeated spit. Yes. <laughs> now, back at the cabin, Ron is now sound asleep. And Anne tells Leslie that he's talking about her in his sleep, but it isn't good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That line is funnier than actually seeing him mutter stuff in his sleep. Just having her (laughs) recount it to to Leslie. Yeah, it just isn't good stuff. It's so funny. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So Leslie says no one admits to shooting Ron. No one saw it happen. And confused, Anne replies, I know what happened. And Leslie says, you do? And immediately, we now cut to the park ranger arriving at the cabin. The uh, the park ranger here, he's played by comedic actor Jay Johnstone. He's a, a former member of the Mr. Show cast, among many other things. Okay. I was trying to fig- place that guy. I was, I was, uh, I should I should have looked him up. Um, I, I Honestly, I figured you would. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I was like, I know this guy from something. <laughs> yeah, he's in a lot of things. Yeah. In fact, he's often a, a, I think he was a cop in the Sarah Silverman program. So yeah, he, he often plays a, uh, you know, a man of authority like this. Hmm. So uh, we cut to him in the cabin, addressing everyone, asking who's responsible. Uh, everyone denies knowing at the same time. <laughs> and all of a sudden the camera pans over to Leslie as she admits to shooting Ron. And Donnie yells, <laughs> you shot my Mercedes! <laughs> and just charges her. Jumps out of her chair, tackles Leslie to the floor, and we cut to black. I love you hear the quick, what? No. Yeah. So great. Yeah. Something uh, Leslie never even thought of yeah. you know, when making this admission. <laughs> Completely forgets that, oh yeah, the Mercedes got shot too. <laughs> so when we come back from commercial, we see Leslie is sitting on the floor as Anne shines a light in her eyes, checking for a concussion, while the rest of the group is being questioned by the park ranger in the background. So Anne takes advantage of this moment to ask Leslie why she's exactly taking the blame now. And Leslie just replies, don't worry about it. I know what I'm doing. I remember when I first saw this episode, I really wondered what was happening here. Yeah, in fact, I hadn't watched this episode in a while. So when I watched it for the podcast, I was wondering, I forgot exactly why she did this. But it, it does make sense. It does later, yeah. So we cut to a few moments later on the porch as the park ranger questions Leslie about the incident (laughs) one-on-one. Now, Leslie's story is that she tripped, then her gun went off, and the ranger assumes she's bad at hunting because she's a woman. (laughs) But, unfortunately, (laughs) Leslie kind of has to pretend that that's the case if she wants to convince him, but her story goes through a bunch of changes about tripping, shooting at a quail (laughs) mid-trip... I love that she can't she can't bear to let go of the fact that she actually does know what she's doing when she's hunting. Yeah. But has to try to figure out how to make it work with what she's told this guy happened. <laughs> <laughs> she, her changes make the story so complicated really that do. he can't follow it and he's like, "Well, it's it, it's because you're hysterical." And uh, Leslie's like, yeah, you know, my emotions got the best of me. <laughs> and this cuts to just a bunch of takes. This is more improv. Definitely. Uh, Definitely. Featuring Leslie's story. Amy Poehler, if you don't know, she's one of the four founding members of the Upright Citizens Brigade, which are just, you know, the her and uh, Matt Besser, Matt Walsh, and Ian Roberts, they are four legendary improvisers. Uh, they have their own series on Comedy Central. They're pretty much in everything. They run improv schools in New York and L.A. Actually, I think they 
have two theaters in LA and one in New York now. Just legendary improvisers. So, of course, who better to improvise a scene like this than Amy Poehler? And yes. these are just so funny. So good. <laughs> just the constant barrage of, you know, here's all the super stereotypical woman things that could have gone wrong in this moment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we get this whole bunch of uh, takes, probably like the best of all the, the improv lines that she gave. And uh, we cut back to City Hall. Now, still on hold, April and Andy kind of toss a football <laughs> in the office. All Andy can think about is Anne, who he imagines is making out with Mark on top of a deer carcass. <laughs> Super romantic, as he says. <laughs> so April offers to give him a hickey to make Anne jealous. And Andy's like, yeah, I don't know. It's just too weird of an idea. And April asks, what's so weird about one friend sucking on another friend's neck? And Andy replies, well, when you put it that way, it doesn't sound that weird at all. <laughs> and he leaves to go sterilize his neck. <laughs> That's a thoughtful gesture. <laughs> and after he leaves, April, you know, kind of realizes, oh, yeah, the camera's there. So it, it caught her smiling again. And she looks and says, what? Yeah. Kind of another rare moment where they're interacting with the camera people. Yeah. Now back at the cabin, the day is now coming to a close. Everyone's packing up, except Ron. He's just sitting outside, very angry at Leslie. And this is just yeah, constantly, so funny. Constantly all these things, you know, maybe when I'm watching the Super Bowl, you could come and uh, shoot me in the head. <laughs> or perhaps the next time I'm enjoying some alone time in the men's room, you could come into my stall and shoot, shoot me, me in, in the, the head. head. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie knows she didn't do it, but she just has to keep the story. So she apologizes for ruining the weekend, offers to do anything to make it up to him. And Ron replies, sure. How about you shoot me in the head? And that's like, oh, wait, <laughs> yeah, you already, already did, did that. that. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so the camera zooms behind them and we see Tom and Anne on the uh, the front of the, the cabin porch there. And Tom is laughing at Ron's ranting. <laughs> And Anne demands to talk to him inside the cabin immediately. <laughs> Does he say something like, hold on, I'm enjoying this? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I do like, actually, before we get to that, when she shoves him in there, the first thing he says is, whoa, Anne, are we going to finally do this? <laughs> yes. Maximum. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a great slap, too. Oh, it's so it's funny. really good. <laughs> But they do kind of end up dating a little right, bit, too. Right, later, later on, and, and like very briefly, though. It's 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 clearly uh, indicated it's a terrible mistake on, on Anne's part. Yes. But, uh, yeah, they, so. like for a very, very brief period of time, they start going out. It's <laughs> just weird, yeah, seeing this now, knowing that. It is. Actually, it makes it funnier for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, inside, Anne tells Tom she saw him shoot Ron, and she's not going to let Leslie get treated like this any longer. <laughs> And uh, Tom is really hoping that he and Anne have a future together, but after a few slaps to the head, agrees he will tell Ron the truth. Uh, I love so, Aziz Ansari's whiny, like, ultra whiny, ow, when she gets hit. So, <laughs> so we next cut to outside where Ron is in the middle of inviting Leslie to shoot him in the head in the middle of his next prostate exam. <laughs> <laughs> He's all bandaged up, he's half sedated, but he's still coming up with all of these scenarios in which Leslie can uh, come and repeat this injury. It's so funny. Oh, so, so Tom steps forward and admits to Ron in front of everyone that it wasn't Leslie's fault, 
and that in fact she was covering for him because he didn't have a hunting license. Right. <laughs> so he didn't get a hunting license. <laughs> yep, that's the reason why Leslie did what she did because Tom would have been in a lot of trouble. It's reckless you know. endangerment, my son. Yes, Ron Ron kind of berates Tom and, and explains exactly what would have happened. It was Yeah, the legal ramifications are huge. <laughs> yeah, twenty five thousand dollar minimum fine and jail time. Yeah. And Tom says that because Leslie covered for him, he's in the clear. And Ron turns to Leslie and instead of being angry, tells her that she did good, calling her a real stand-up guy. <laughs> so he apologizes for losing his temper at her as she smiles. Uh, he says, it's because I was shot in the head by a moron. <laughs> <laughs> I love when he tries, he's like, Ron, I'm really sorry. Apology not accepted, moron. That's <laughs> one of my favorite moments of the show. <laughs> Apology not accepted, moron. Oh, gosh. So just then, Anne runs over and pulls down Tom's pants and says, Pants king! And Les <laughs> Pants queen, Leslie replies. It's a, it's a good brick joke, that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. And from there, we cut to commercial. So when we return, we open on the exterior of the beautiful City Hall building. Uh, inside, Andy passes Anne in the busy hallway, and we see that his he's, neck is covered in hickeys. It's so nasty looking. <laughs> I, I had, again, totally forgotten that, that, that he did that, you know, on rewatching the episode for the podcast. And I, mm -hmm. I had forgotten that he was just covered. It's so gross looking. It's like everywhere. And he says, hi, Ann. And he makes sure to like tug down on his shirt so he <laughs> can get a really good open, look. Yeah. He's got a <laughs> smug look on his face. Uh. As he passes her, Anne kind of looks back in disgust and gives a look to the camera. And uh, we cut to Andy, and he gives a look to the camera as well, but his look is more like a, you know, mission accomplished yeah, type of look. very, very smug grin. <laughs> and from here, we cut to the meeting room. And we see the Parks and Recreation employees get ready to eat a turkey meal. And we see that this is all taking place probably a few days later, and it's a welcome back party for Ron. You see that there's a banner being hung there and everything. As Ron steps into the room, he looks pretty much back to normal and everyone applauds and he thanks everyone. And uh, when he turns around to read the Welcome Back Ron banner hung up behind him, <laughs> the camera zooms in on the back of his head. So, <laughs> so <laughs> the huge shaved patch and all the little sewn up pellet shot wounds. Yeah. Oh gosh. It's it's pretty disgusting, and it's everyone's great. like staring in horror as Ron's just like, "Oh wow, look I at love, that!" I love you see, <laughs> I love you see Anne's look to the camera and her just her hand to her mouth. <laughs> oh, uh, Ron Ron then turns around back to the group and says, "Let's eat." Yeah. But from from the expressions of everyone in the group, it doesn't seem like they're too hungry anymore. <laughs> and in fact, April looks like she's about to throw up. She does. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Uh, and so from here, we cut to the production cards for Deedle D Productions, Three Arts Entertainment, Fremulon, and Universal. And that's the end of the episode. Uh, such a classic. Really, really one of the best, one of the best early season episodes, I'd say. Yeah. Really, really good. Slightly off topic. I uh, I don't know if you're at all into the, the Funko Pop collectibles. I never really got into it. They're very cool, though. I see that's them at the fair. Store. There is a line of Parks and Recreation ones coming out. 
I saw you t- you re- uh, retweeted it. Yeah. Oh yes, and uh, I am highly tempted to get a couple of Ron Swansons so that I can make my own uh, horribly pellet shot Ron Swanson. <laughs> oh man! Oh, that'd be so great. <laughs> Uh, now, we should mention for listeners, you uh, are uh, a master of making custom Pop Funko figures. Oh, uh, that's, that's extremely kind. Thank you. But uh, I, I don't do it too often. It's my, my hobby on top of my hobby, you know? So uh-huh. uh, when, whenever I have time, I try to mess with them. I, I've made a couple of ones from the show Z Nation and uh, a couple of... Uh, I've got, I've got a, one that I made of uh, a Deep Space Nine character um, and uh, basically just, you know, I try to find... Uh, stuff among the very, very small amount of things they haven't done yet and do with mm. those because Funko Pops, as anybody who knows the line, uh, has done, if you can think of it, they may have done something from that uh, piece of entertainment. They, it's huge. It's a massive line. Yeah, it's amazing to see how many different uh, properties that they've licensed. You know, it's like the Blacklist I saw now mm-hmm. has a couple of figures. Mm-hmm. And I've been waiting for funny. Parks and Rec for a long time. They've been on my list actually to make for a while, and when they finally announced it, I was like, oh, phew, good, I don't have to make my own Ron or my own Wesley anymore. I was going to ask if you actually did uh, make a Ron or were about to. No, I I hadn't yet. It was on my list of ones to do. Um, I actually had uh, an eye on a Leslie one first because there was this one in a different line that the head basically just looked exactly like her. I mean, I was just like, that's that's basically just Leslie Nope. All I have to do is repaint a couple things, and I, I've got a Leslie Nope Funko Pop. So I was going to huh. do that one first because it was less work, honestly. <laughs> because for Ron Swanson, I really wanted to get the hair right and the mustache and the whole bit, yeah. so I would have had to sculpt it. But they're saving me the trouble, so I'm okay with that. Now, can you buy blanks? Yes, like there, blank there are blank ones. It's pretty cool. I have, <laughs> I have quite a lot of those, actually. I bought a whole ton of them when uh, Barnes and Noble had a sale. But awesome. um and I actually um have also made molds of some of the blank bodies so I can cast them if they ever stop making them. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Now what do you what do you make the uh, sculpts out of? Uh I use this two-part uh compound called epoxy. It's it's tricky to work with because a lot of people like to use super sculpy because you can keep working with that and it's, you know, it keeps its shape until you bake it. Mm-hmm. I use epoxy because it's a two-part thing so it's starts curing the second you put it together you've only got a few hours to work with it you know while it's still soft and it is a little softer so it's a little harder to work with because it's kind of you know it's kind of squishy you got to use tools and and a lot of water to keep it smooth however Mm -hmm. when that stuff's dry it is rock hard i mean you're not it's not gonna break uh you'd have to try basically I've, i've had this one that i made it's probably a good 15 years ago and it's been through a couple moves and it's been mishandled a few times and the only thing that's wrong with it it's not a funko pop it's a different thing that i made a long time ago but uh it's it's still in perfect shape because this stuff is yeah it dries just rock hard so uh that's usually what i use because of the durability because i'm a klutz Uh, i freely admit it i drop things (laughs) (laughs) it happens (laughs) to me more than most That's very cool. Now, are these anything you sell or do people Every once these? in a while. I, I've had a couple commissions. I made um, a set for a, a gentleman once of the Tick and Arthur 
Oh, um, I saw those. Yeah, those yeah, were awesome. Yeah, they were. I, I got to be honest, even for myself, I was really pleased with those. Um, I was like, yeah, those came out pretty darn good. <laughs> kind of patted myself yeah. on the back a little bit on those. But uh, when I I think when uh, Funko first put out the DIYs, as they call them, um, the DIY pops, they asked people to tweet at them, you know, like customs they'd done. And so I did that and I got retweeted, which was by the Funko account, which was how I got uh, commissioned to do those for that guy. And yeah, so sometimes I put them up for sale. Um, I have a, a Ticktail page, which uh, I sell like original artwork and stuff through. And so I'll, I'll, I've got one up there right now um, just just because uh, I was like, eh, I can use the extra cash if anybody wants it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And your commissioned uh, sketch covers and all that that kind of stuff is just amazing. Oh, thanks. Was it the Venom one that you just uh, recently... Oh, I've been, uh, I started, started working on a Venom one. It's not finished yet because I'm doing a full wraparound cover. It's uh, Spider-Man being chased by Venom. And then uh, a friend of mine suggested that I could have Jameson like leaning out the window, yelling at the pair of them, which I <laughs> loved that idea. So i that got to draw that. So then I'll have to draw the Bugle building and that kind of thing behind them. But yeah, that one's been fun to work on. Um, I have one. It's a, a Jughead one where I, I did the pose from The Lion King where he's holding the cub up, except for he's holding up a big burger. Oh, um, nice. Because of Jughead, yeah, and, and you know, I've got, I've got a friend. Uh, well, actually, the comic shops in town. I, whenever I hit them, I usually ask if there's sketch covers, um, and so I'll end up going home with three or four new sketch. I've got, a, I've got a foot high stack of sketch covers in my. Oh, that's in awesome. My, uh, yeah, but they're not all done. Though, unfortunately, I wish I could say that they're all drawn on. <clears throat> no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you had a great uh, Darth Vader and Princess Leia one. Oh, thank you. The, uh, the, the, the the that's not how the Force works one. Or yes, I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, there's there's some really awesome uh, some artwork. I, I love the superhero. I mean, I know you obviously do the Capbeard, uh, the pirate comics, which are awesome. Which I got my book, by the way. Oh, sweet. And uh, I, I wanted to take a picture because uh, anybody you know that received one, you encourage them to take a picture and uh, tweet it to you. Oh, I was waiting for a good shot I could take of it on the beach because I, I drive by the beach in the morning during the sunrise so i'm like oh i'm gonna take a a really nice picture of this book nice but of course after i got the book we've had a series of uh big snowstorms and everything i I totally i can totally uh relate because it is pouring down snow right now as we speak uh oh man but uh yeah i love the style of your uh cap the pirate uh, comics and everything but the seeing that style translated over to some of the uh, more serious superheroes is cool. Like oh, the, the Wolverine and uh, the Wolverine one that you did and the, the, that is Venom that, the, that you worked uh, on. Is the Get to Class one? No, I think it was a commission. Oh, did. okay. Hmm. I was going to say, because there was, there was one, maybe I didn't post this one. It was a uh, the Wolverine and the X-Men. It was a, a series I did for a while where, or, or I think that's what it was called anyway, but uh, where he was actually the teacher at the school. For oh, I didn't see that one. Yeah, and so there was a sketch cover that I got a hold of, and it's got him like in his yellow and blue, you know, uniform, and he's got like a, I think he's got an apple spiked on his uh, claws, you know, and like a textbook, you know, this is math for mutants, and he's like yelling, "Get to class," you know. So <laughs> that's awesome. No, oh, thanks. <laughs> Yeah, so definitely, if you're listening, check out Matt's stuff, definitely, and uh, buy, buy, uh, buy all of his work. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Scoop it up while supplies last. Yeah. <laughs> Scoop enough of enough, uh, you know, reprints can happen. <laughs> so uh, just getting back to uh, Parks and Recreation, so yes. what are your thoughts on the, the series, you know, going back and revisiting it for the podcast? I, I loved, uh, Parks and Rec is actually probably my number one traditional sitcom of all time. I, I'm not a big sitcom guy. I like comedy, but I'm not a big sitcom guy. I, you know, well, you know, my all-time favorite comedy show is Mr. Science Theater slash Rift Tracks. Oh, yes. um, but Parks and Rec, 
hit this really perfect note for me. And I, you know, it's one of the few sitcoms I can point to and I can say, I don't feel like this ever had a real dip in quality. It was good all the way through. I really, I liked, I love its ending. I think it's really good. And I like, one of the things I've said about Parks and Rec to friends that I like about it is that it's about people trying to do the best they can. It's not like, it's not as, as snarky as a lot of sitcoms. It's mm-hmm. about people trying to do nice things and that going wrong. And that is, there's something inherently funny about that. And uh, it's just a little different that way, you know, whereas you, you, don't, you just don't get as many of the, the standard sitcom tropes, I think. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just has a different feel. And, and I, I like the idea of a, of a show where they say, hey, if you, you know, if you work hard and you're generally nice to people, it works out pretty well. And, oh, yeah, it's also still really funny. And I liked that uh, about this show. I mean, even Ron, you know, eventually, you know, shows that he's got a nice side and is is helpful. And I, I really like those characters. Those characters all feel very realized very quickly, too. Um, the first season is rough, but a lot of shows, especially from that era, have a little bit of a rough first season. It, it finds its footing really fast. Um, and it really takes off once, of course, you, like you were saying, the uh, Ben Wyatt and Chris Traeger characters show up. To me, I think as soon as they show up, it's just like a complete uphill uh, slope in terms of quality. I think the show yeah. never stops being uh, better after them. So, yeah, o- overall, I love Parks and Rec. Love it, love it, love it. It's it's probably my number one. It's It, it's, it probably is pretty close with, uh, I'd say the only thing that's close is Better Off Ted. Oh, see, that's a show I never watched either. I gotta, oh. I gotta check that one out, too. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Parks and Rec, one of my favorite uh, shows of all time as well. And uh, for those that haven't really seen it, but are familiar with the US version of The Office, it's not exactly the same. There are elements that if you like that that show, you're going to like this show. Uh, but there's, uh, it's got that, like you said, it's got that optimism to it. It's got mm-hmm. that, you know, um, heartfelt edge to it. Yeah. That you don't quite get in the office, you know, where the office is kind of playing up, you know, the dull and boring day-to-day office life, you know, that's kind of like the hook of the show. Right. Uh, This is a little different. I'd say Parks and Rec, um, the office gets a little bit more like Parks and Rec in its later seasons where the characters, you see, in, in a weird way, this is where the office failed for me. Toward the end of the series, the characters started to feel a little bit more cartoonish almost. What, you didn't like Robert California? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I liked him better when they t- when the Red Letter Media guys took his lines and dubbed it into Ultron. Um, if you've never seen that, it's amazing. But, oh, i got to um, check that out. Yeah, you do. It's so funny. Ultron <laughs> California, just check that out. It's awesome. Honestly, I could watch that whole movie like that. But, yeah, the char- but even the characters that have been established for a while started to feel a little bit broad. And mm-hmm. at the beginning of The Office, the characters all felt kind of like they could really exist. Parks and Rec really kind of embraces a little bit of broadness from the get-go. Yep. So they're they're a little cartoonish, but not enough that I found it annoying. And I and I actually liked, you know, since they do embrace it pretty early on, it fits the characters through the rest of the series. Whereas, like I said, a lot of people say that uh, The Office declined after Steve Carell left. I myself felt that it actually start was starting a little bit before um, I, mm-hmm. I started to watch it, and I remember thinking to myself, "I don't feel like real people would behave like this at all," and I had come to expect a little bit more realism from the show there. But Parks and Rec, 
I, I never had that moment where I was like, nobody would do this. Uh, I know nobody would do this, but I'm okay with it because this character would do this. But the, the enough of the same elements are there. And I, I love both shows. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I love The Office and I love Parks and Rec. But I think there's something about Parks and Rec to me that there's a little something more. I don't know quite what it is, but I, I really, really love it. It's so great. And like you said, you know, it's that it's consistency. You know, it does. They, they set the parameters pretty early, and that's what they work within. You know, like little Sebastian comes into town. And, <laughs> you know, it's like we we didn't even touch on that. It's oh, like the, the hero of the town is this miniature horse. You know, it, it, <laughs> that's something that would be a little too crazy for the office. But then towards the end of the, like you said, the run of the office, you could see them getting that crazy. And I that could just totally see that happen. Right. Yeah, it doesn't quite work, yeah. But Parks and Rec has that whole mythos. I mean, mm-hmm. just the book, like I talked about, I mean, hundreds of pages of just backstory written by the writers, uh, written as characters, uh, just, you know, Sweetums, you know, just businesses like that, the, and just how crazy it the is. Sweetums, the Sweetums company is wonderful. Um, I really, really love just the idea of this huge candy factory that is like the the only thing that keeps the town afloat really (laughs) (laughs) and and characters that come in like uh john ralphio uh, right so many characters in this that are just so over the top right but it it just works they make it work and you could definitely see you know it's so highly regarded by fans especially you know towards uh seasons two and three yeah seasons two through four are just uh, well, I don't know. Like I said, I th- I think it just keeps getting better and better myself after season after season two. But yeah, it's I, if I had to pinpoint uh, like a you know this is the best of the show, it probably would be seasons two through four. Yeah, definitely. Which actually is also what I would say about The Office. But yeah, and a lot of shows get like that. You know, they kind of hit that sweet spot, but they a lot of sh- American shows don't really want to give it up after that. You know, it's I think it's very hard. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, that's it might be a, like a whole separate podcast, but. I've noticed because I also watch a lot of British shows, a lot of British shows, they don't seem to have as long seasons, not even close. And, you know, I wonder, I can't help but wonder sometimes the American shows it might be better if we had shorter seasons so you don't get to run out of ideas as fast. Yeah. And if you liked, if you liked what you saw, then, well, look for these actors in their next project. You exactly. know, that's kind of how it works. That's actually one of the things I have liked too, is that they went on to do Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which I'm, I'm not caught up on. But oh, so good, yeah. Yeah, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Well, yeah, I loved it from the get-go. Uh, and I was like, you know, it felt, it really felt like a show that, okay, we've done The Office, we've done Parks and Rec, now we're doing this one. And they really hit the ground running with Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And and uh, I felt funny just right out of the gate. That's another great show. If you haven't seen it and you're listening to this, yeah, definitely check that one out. We'll have to do an episode on that. Yeah, definitely. I'll have to get caught up. I Sometime after season two, I uh, kind of fell off. Right, season two was when the uh, the uh, witness protection storyline happened. I think so. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of fell off the map um, with watching that one, and uh, I can't remember why. I probably got, I probably probably it was difficult for me to keep up with the thousand CW DC comics shows. Oh my goodness, <laughs> there's so many. There's a lot there's of so them. many. There's a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> And that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, your survey trail excursions, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. So Matt, how can uh, people find some of your good work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matt W. Nelson. You can find me on Instagram at Matt W. Nelson. Um, you can go to mattwnelson.ticktail.com, and you can also, of course, read the comic at catbeardthepirate.com. Very good. 
And uh, yeah, if you want to hear more of Matt, check him out in the episodes of the podcast that he did with us for the Tick Pilot for Amazon, which got renewed, by mm, the way. Yes, so happy about so that. Looking, looking forward to that, as well as uh, <laughs> the episode of uh, Mystery Science Theater with Parts <laughs> the Colonus Horror. Classic. And uh, we also had you on talking more about uh, Catbeard the Pirate, so if you want, want to hear a little bit more about that backstory, check that out as well. Uh, I am on Twitter. My name there is at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. Uh, Vine died, so I moved to Instagram. My name there is <laughs> MC and Friends, but MC underscore and underscore friends. And there I post some of my drawings and flip page animations from Vine. I put a lot of that stuff over there, so you can follow me, check me out there. If you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out, and if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. For Android users, we are also available to stream in or download on Stitcher. We can be found on TuneIn Radio and the Google Play Music app, so you can check us out on those platforms. Also, if you have a Roku device, you can download the TuneIn Radio channel. You can set Hitting Play as a favorite, and you can stream these episodes right through your television as they are posted. Well, we have been Matt and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Bula, bula, bula. <laughs> Very nice.